Welcome to Life School Series 2, Bumps and Babies. As I record this today, I am currently 23 weeks and 4 days pregnant with my first baby, which I'm so excited to share I now know is a little girl. I'm still in the process of recording this series, and my plan was to start releasing episodes once I'd finished recording with all my wonderful guests. However, in light of the current global situation with coronavirus, recording for now is on hold. So I've decided to share with you the episodes I've recorded so far over the past couple of months. I know many of us are currently self-isolating at home with lots of time on our hands, so what better time to listen to your favourite podcasts or perhaps discover some new ones? As a first-time mum, pregnancy, birth and babies is a whole new world for me and I personally want to educate myself as much as I can before my little one arrives. From positive birth stories, information on hypnobirthing, water births, c-sections, baby massage and more, I hope throughout this series I can shed some light on just some of the areas you may be worried about or even just intrigued about. Thank you to all the incredible birth workers and women who have made this series possible so far and thank you so much for listening. My guest for this episode is Cecile Descali, also known as the UAE's leading midwife educator and the baby whisperer. Cecile is an experienced South African trained midwife who qualified in 1990 and has more than 25 years experience in prenatal and postnatal support and education. I learned so much from Cecile during this episode, especially about sleep. Cecile really is a fountain of knowledge when it comes to all things babies. So without further ado, here's Bumps and Babies episode four with the amazing Cecile. Happy listening. Cecile, welcome to Life School. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. Um, I want to start with talking about your career, your amazing career. Um, You're known as the UAE's leading midwife educator and baby whisperer, which I love. Everyone I speak to, when they talk about you, calls you a baby whisperer. Um, Can you talk us through your journey to working in the world of babies and how this all happened? So I've, I've had an interesting career to say the least. I started off as a general nurse in South Africa. The department that I was most drawn to, funny enough, was trauma. And I was working in trauma for many, many years and did lots of different things in that area. And we had a overload of births happening up in our labor and delivery suites. So my in-charge said, oh well, you'll have to go and learn how to deliver babies. And um, I wasn't impressed at all. I was very actually upset about it. I was like, why would you want to do that to me? I don't like that. I like jumping out of helicopters and being the hero. And um, I went to do midwifery and realized I didn't need to be a hero. I loved what I was doing there. So at the end of my year of training, I had to go back to trauma. I begged, I pleaded. They said, no, you have to go back. So I went back, I did six months back there and I begged and pleaded to leave again and they said no, so I resigned. And that was my first sort of official, now I'm going to be a midwife, I'm not going to do anything else. So I started looking for a job, got a job in a private sector and realized I don't like that really either. So looked at other options, started working for myself a lot in South Africa and then met a lovely lady one Sunday morning at a doctor's rooms. I used to help them, I'm primary healthcare trained and I used to do the small consults for like minor coughs, colds, urinary tract infections, etc. And she came in, there wasn't a doctor to see her because they were busy and I said, well I can help you out here because she had a fly. And we started chatting and she said, why don't you go to the Middle East? Why don't you come to Dubai? And I was like, why would I come to Dubai? Where's Dubai? What is Dubai? In any case, I started to look into it, sent her my CV, thought nothing more of it. And that was about the end of March. And I stepped off a plane on the 3rd of July, 1997 in Dubai. Wow. So that lady was working in Dubai? No, she's a recruiter for Dubai. Ah, okay. (laughs) And um, came to the American hospital, very new first private hospital establishing itself in Dubai. And the remit for me was basically to come and help set up prenatal classes. There were more staff sometimes than patients. Mm. And it was two years of learning about the Middle East, understanding it, getting to respect the culture, 
getting to understand the culture a lot more than I did. You know, I read up on it and I thought I knew what I knew. But you, you don't know until you are in those, in the country mm. about the people. And I was, basically my attitude was, well, I'm here for two years and then I'll go. Like most people. Yes. And it didn't end up now. It's 22 years. <laughs> and I keep saying I'm leaving Dubai. But honestly, it's been amazing. The journey through establishing my own business, joining up with Malak now and seeing how we can actually support women here. And so when you started in the American hospital, that was as a midwife? As a midwife. Okay. And how many years were you there for? I worked for American Hospital for nearly 10 years. Wow, I a left long time. them in 2007. And obviously back then there were, they weren't doing things like water births wow. and <laughs> hypnobirthing. And was it a very different landscape then in terms of... So uh, midwives were still doing the births. They were doing yes. the births, okay. And we tried three times to get a bath into the hospital. Mm. Various different reasons why it didn't happen. All of them I can laugh about today. And it, it's sad that we didn't see that potential back then, but I think that a lot of people were still going home for their births at that point. And it took a long time for people in the community, especially expats, to start to trust the hospitals coming up. And of course, American was the first footstep into private mm. healthcare here. And then many more hospitals came after that when they saw the success they had. Um, but hypnobirthing, I did hypnobirthing before I came to Dubai for the first time. And I kind of thought hypnobirthing was kind of this new age fancy thing and people weren't going to take it. Mm. And I then repeated my hypnobirthing training um, probably about 2015. Um, again in South Africa once I'd been living out here because not because I wanted to actually teach hypnobirthing, but I wanted to find a common ground between what women wanted and what hospitals did. Yeah. And I went back and did the hypnobirthing, and this time I believed it. Mm. And I've never been able to sleep on an aeroplane, but I use lavender, the script, and you'll be introduced to lavender, I hope. Mm. And not just the oil and the, and the, sense, the, the smell and everything, the actual, I use lavender as my relaxing word. And it's I funny you sleep. say about the plane because I have a really um, bad fear of flying and I do it but it's it causes me a lot of panic and anxiety and a few people have said the hypnobirthing will really help you with oh your flying. <laughs> yeah even like at the moment obviously with all the current situations I've been probably not concerned but thinking what can we do how can we make this right how can we make it work and I haven't been sleeping very well and I've been using lavender to go back to sleep again and yes I do have lavender in my room I can smell the the scent but I use the words and it takes me the 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 little mantra is lavender three two one zero mm. and it probably takes me four or five times doing that breathing deeply and I'm done wow so yes yeah, so my journey into hypnobirthing was not really because I wanted to teach it, but because I wanted to find that common ground. Mm. And I think I have found it with developing my own prenatal classes once I left the hospitals before, when I was no longer being sort of urged to do things a hospital's way. Um, I, I did now find, I think, the common ground where we are promoting healthy, normal births, supporting women, and I just love it. Because I, I imagine that you've seen massive changes over the past even five years because yeah. I'm very new to this uh, pregnancy <laughs> world and even in the past few months everything I'm learning and the events I'm going to and the people I'm talking to have all had such different experiences and a lot of ladies have felt like their birth just happened to them because they weren't informed and it was very medically led and had they have known that they had options and had they have known that there's all these amazing services out here, maybe they would have done it slightly differently um, because some, in some cases it can be very medically led, whereas in the UK it's very midwifery led. Midwifery led. So, because I didn't think midwives, I thought midwives were a fairly new thing here. No. In um, fact, midwives don't exist here in the true role of a midwife. Mm. So the midwives that work in the hospitals here are qualified as midwives, 
but they work essentially as an obstetric nurse mm. because they're there to support the doctor. The doctor, yeah. The advantage to them being a midwife is for the mother because they have those skills, they know the complications, they know how to support that mother properly to get her to that end point. Mm. But I've always felt the skill was in actually getting the mom to that end point, but in then in guiding her to birth herself. Yeah, because even um, last week when I was in the UK, I met up with an old school friend of mine and she's pregnant with her second baby. And her first baby, she had a really traumatic time. She ended up having to have an emergency C-section and um, nothing actually related to the baby, but she had a lot of bleeding and it was it was really traumatic. And now for her second, her midwives are really encouraging her to have a natural birth because they're saying this pregnancy is great you've got no problems we're obviously you know we because of her previous medical history she's high risk so they're monitoring her a lot but they're like let's go for it let's do it and I said to her if you were here they'd have booked you in for a c-section already and and that is correct and it's a safety issue however it's sad to hear that you know, it's sad when I think, when I, when I speak to women, and you're right, a lot of women don't know that they can get the support. They don't know how we work. They don't know we're available. And I can't, unfortunately, go in and support a woman in a hospital any longer. So that's why my focus is on educating her and her husband yeah. to make those choices, to understand what they're doing. And that's a large part that people don't want to pay for because they don't see the value in it. Mm. And we're not covered by insurances, so that comes out your pocket. And as you're beginning to realize, having a baby is not something that's cheap. But no. This little you, princess yeah. has already cost us a lot of money. Yes. And, but how you birth is actually really, really important because how you feel after that birth is how you then parent. Mm. And when you, we do hear stories, we run... Um, our amazing Thursday morning coffee mornings called Mama Morning. They often we have um, people come to do talks on mental health, and they often produce stories and tears, because women in that moment are feeling that they can actually open up to how they felt. Mm. So we we plan the talk, and then I have an office, and then we plan for the speaker to go and sit in my office and do short counselling sessions, and it's amazing that we can offer that to women. But you realize when that happens, how many women needed it before they gave birth. Yeah. And, and that's primarily, primarily a big focus of mine, I'd say, is to actually make women aware that, yes, it is costly to come and do a private prenatal class. You're f- inquiring on those yourself at the moment mm. and finding out. Yes, you can go and do a free one from the hospitals. And I'm by no means saying don't go and do the free ones. In fact, I'm saying please go and do the hospital free one because of the fact that teaches you about your hospital. Yeah. But please also come and pay for private prenatal, one-on-ones, group sessions where you meet other parents, where you spend a lot more time talking in depth. Mm. Yeah, you're so right, because for me, I have some preferences, but I just want to have a really positive experience. And that, for me, is being really informed and part of whatever decision-making process there might be so that I feel like I had the most positive experience possible so I can start mine and my baby's relationship off in a in a really yeah in a really positive way so I don't feel those first few weeks which I know a lot of ladies do if they've Mm. had trauma just feeling well a traumatized and b sometimes like a failure because they feel they had these expectations and they feel like they haven't met them Um, which is ridiculous isn't it but we're so hard on ourselves anyway as women and especially in the Middle East because none of us are here because we can't keep a job in our home country Mm. we all came here looking for a challenge yeah and a better life yeah we found that this was a place where we could grow and and actually do something Mm. so none of us have come here because we have low expectations Mm. in fact we have very high expectations and that I think has been one of my challenges in Dubai is we need us midwives medical practitioners to be that one step ahead of the woman's knowledge but we also need to allow her to have that knowledge and the the imbalance is really difficult yeah so you're right if you don't know enough if you're not well informed well prepared and 
Sometimes I think women say, oh, you've done too much. No, you can't do too much. You can't read too much. You can't listen to too many podcasts. You can't mm. watch too many series. You can watch the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't watch too much. And even the wrong thing, I think, teaches you. Mm. So. Knowledge is power at the end of the day. And for someone like me, the more I know, the more comfortable I feel. And I think as well, um, when you're empowered... Mm. At the end of that birth, doesn't matter how the birth went, you were part of the decisions, then you stay empowered with your child. Yeah. So I really am promoting that. Um, and one of the things that I, I like to tell women is you don't have to push. Mm. Your body has a natural expulsive reflex that will actually almost evict your baby. Yeah. So, and then there is a time to push. When there is a need, that's when you do listen to the medical practitioners, your doctor, the midwives, in the hospital to push. Mm. Yeah, I've been, I've been listening to quite a lot of podcasts on this and it's about trusting your body. Like your body knows what it's doing and it's incredible the things it does yeah. to not only during birth, but to prepare you yeah. as well. Um, I mean, we've been doing this since the beginning of time. Yes. We're, we're, we're made for this. And, and in saying that, I, I like to say we've been giving birth for hundreds of years. What have we got that is different today? We have got safety. Yeah. Good prenatal care, good care in the hospital, good postnatal care is making birth safer. Mm. Because gone are the days where you stayed at home and just had babies. Now you have one, two, three, maybe four children, and that's your children. Whereas a long time ago, a woman gave birth to multiple babies because that was their job. Yeah. So we do, we don't want to take away from the medical model. Mm. It is giving us safety. Yeah. And thank goodness we have it because, yes. you know, when you do need that medical intervention. Absolutely. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, but for me, I want to try and be as natural as possible purely just because I'm not someone who's ever touched wood I've, I've never sort of spent time in a hospital so I'm more scared of the idea of sort of having things put in me and kind of being being interfered with than I am about having a baby and that's um, the way you everybody should view it yeah yes. um, whereas but I have friends that are the opposite they're very, they booked in for a c-section they're like no I want to be in and out not interested in in going into natural labor and that's their choice Absolutely. but for me that's way more scary that scares me more well when, when i have moms who come and see me and they say no I'm, I'm choosing to have a cesarean i always carefully ask why mm. and, and not because i'm judging them because i want to understand their journey so a lot of times women come to you with absolute horrible histories mm. of you know miscarriages and and you know poor, poor gynecologic gynecological histories and and that makes it horrible for them to even think that they may at any point not be in control and in those cases actually the cesarean section is the right choice for them. yeah and and that's why sometimes I feel like women are sort of think they're being judged when I say why do you want a cesarean and they're not they certainly are never ever judged it's understanding that journey that we support them correctly yeah and, and sometimes even, you know, I call all clients when they make inquiries about prenatal. And the reason I do that is when you just send them, them some information, you, they may not actually fully understand what would benefit them. And a lot of times I've picked up on someone who said, oh, but I don't want to sit through normal birth because I intend to have an epidural because of my history. And we can then take away that whole stress of her having to sit through a pre, a, a natural birth class. Yeah. And that's all about that emotional feeling mm. and that feeling of almost being threatened. Yeah. And then, of course, the judging. And we judge ourselves harder than anybody else. I know. And women judge each other. It's usually women judging women. That's yeah. the really sad thing. Instead of fixing our crowns, I know. we actually break our crowns. Mm. So. We need to fix each other's. Um, let's talk about sleep. So as I said um, in the beginning of this uh, episode, whenever I have spoken about you to people saying you're coming on the podcast, um, people are like, oh my God, Cecile, she's the baby whisperer. She's amazing. Um, let's talk about sleep because people keep telling me I'm never going to sleep again. 
Well, you will. <laughs> what can I expect? I promise you'll sleep again. Because I love my sleep. So I'm a good I. sleeper. I, I, absolutely. I think that sleep... So sleep is a basic need. Everybody needs good sleep to function. I'm a much nicer person if I've had a good night's sleep than if I've had a poor night's sleep. And in the beginning, and interestingly enough, we think that babies are sleeping in utero, yet there's some new research that says they don't sleep in utero. So when they're born, they're almost born a little bit high-wired. And we have to teach them to sleep. But what they're used to is being rocked, being held, being in a nice, warm, dull environment. So recreating that environment from the very start is important. And when I first started talking about sleep or doing sleep here in Dubai, I knew very little about it. And I went to Australia, did a lot of studying, read a lot of books, worked with a lot of doctors, and have discovered this amazing, I would say, routine, way to establish routines. And there's no one way fits all. And everybody thinks that the minute you say sleep, cried out. But if we start by learning to know our babies, being patient with them, understanding that yes, for those first six weeks, you're going to be really tired, but that's all focused on feeding, getting feeding right. And once we've got feeding right, at about four weeks, we start what I call good habits. Mm. And the good habits are not, again, crying. They will be crying because that is your baby's language. But it's about watching and learning your baby's cues and starting to adjust to what is called commonly the circadian rhythm. And a circadian rhythm simply means circles in the day. So sleep is cyclic. A cycle of sleep is 40, 45, 50 minutes long. And every cycle starts and ends with their cue check. And if their cue check is wrong or very parent dependent, then they're going to use what I term a room service knock. Hello, come and get me, come and do your magic. And you are their magic. By you going and picking them up, they smell you, they hear you, they calm down. So in those first four to six weeks, we're not even suggesting that you leave them. Go to them, and I always say, try not pick up. But my safety net is, as a new mommy, you'll discover this, even two minutes of crying, you can't not pick up. So of course, go ahead and pick up. Yeah, I can't then, imagine just like watching my baby cry. No, yeah, no, And you shouldn't. It's more stressing for you. And then people pull out that big word cortisol. Okay, you have more damage from cortisol than your child does. However, we don't want either of you to have it. So in those first four to six weeks, it's really about watching them, looking at their cues, learning to know who they are. And the way I created, when you met your husband, we hope he had a stable personality. But how long did it take you to get to know him? Uh, probably more than six weeks. Oh, yeah. For sure. So how do you think your baby who's just been born, who's discovering the world, who's changing on a daily, you know, if not an hourly basis, can have a stable personality and you can know them? So this is an, an, a, a discovery journey. It's, it's actually one of the most amazing journeys if you slow it down and enjoy it. I've never heard anyone sort of put it in that way. Well, because I love babies. Yeah, when I you think about it them. like that, it makes so much sense. Yeah. And if you just, we spend so much time rushing through life. Mm. And then one day our children are 32 and 34. Yeah. <laughs> and then you sort of kind of have to think about what, when were they babies? And you hear a lot from new parents. We're just trying to get in a routine. Yeah. Routine, routine. And I think that this is, this is a tiny baby. How, in the really early days, what routine? They don't know, no. they don't know night and day. No. There is no routine. They just know feed, sleep. Yeah. And then maybe poop and pee. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it is really encouraging to say, yes, we can get your routine sorted. Yes, you will sleep again. But let's not try to push it in those first six weeks. And how early do people, because you go into people's homes, don't you, and help them... With, we, their, with their baby's sleep, how early do people contact you usually? So I like moms to start coming to see me from four weeks. Okay. Not for anything other than we're making sure they're getting their feeding established. We're making sure that they are actually getting into good habits, that they are starting to look for those cues. And I have 
a couple of facial cues that I use um, from my good friend and Richardson's book, The Baby Sense. And it talks about the invite phase where the baby wakes up and boys never wake up like that. So fortunately having a girl. I'm having a girl. Yeah. yeah. So when boys wake up, they actually go, you're joking. You forgot to feed me again. Whereas girls wake up going, hi, how are you? And then after about <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me? Because <laughs> boys will never, ever be able to live if they're not fed. Yeah. Whereas girls will use food as power play. So starting to recognize that in your child early and use the invite phase to understand they're now awake and ready for socialization, for actual interaction, and then watching them for the end of what we term happy awake time, where they start to, the, they start to hiccup, sneeze and blink and then frown. Mm. And nobody has ever thought that hiccuping, sneezing or blinking were signs of tiredness. But if you watch your child, then you'll see a, a term it frowny face. So it's like this very deep furrowed frown mm. and they're asking you a question. They're saying, mom, am I hungry or am I tired? And if you get the answer wrong, I'm just going to shout at you about it. Yeah. But if you get it right, then I'm going to go to sleep easy. Mm. If you miss the frowny face, then they start to be, become a bit more physical. Obviously, a small baby can't rub their eyes, so they kind of eh, eh, mm. eh. But the older baby starts to rub their eyes, pull on their ears, and then the dual cue, hand in the mouth. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I want to self-soothe. And babies don't learn to self-soothe before four months of age. That you can start to understand what they're trying to tell you, mm. and if you're getting that right, you're feeding, and like I said, boys, please just feed. Then they'll be happy. Girls, you're going to have to do a bit of guesswork. If we're so it, much more complicated, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> we? We start from very early. and if you, But if you get it right, you, get, you can get them down easy there. If you don't get it right there and you miss that, then you get to a much more distressed baby. Jerky arm and leg movements, hands splayed out, lots and lots of tongue thrusting, a visibly distressed baby. Mm. And this is the baby, especially under 12 weeks, that I tell parents, you must swaddle feed bed mm. because if you don't do it in that order this child is not going to calm down and settle yeah and i want to just mention swaddling because a lot of people say oh no he doesn't like the swaddle all babies like to be swaddled but the traditional way of swaddling the arms at their side is not nice i wouldn't sleep like that either so swaddling your baby's arms across because a baby when they're tired brings their hand into the midline mm. and then if they want to arms up in the initial, just making sure that they are comfortable, that they're warm, that they're dry, that they're fed. That way they'll go to bed. Mm. But again, if you miss these visible cues, that's the baby that's arched back wailing. This baby's not gonna sleep. And, and with newborn babies, how, because you're feeding every couple of hours, aren't you? Actually, you might be feeding every one to three hours. Wow, and in between that, the idea is that they sleep. They sleep. So they're only sleeping for sort of like an hour, Maybe at a, at a maybe time. ninety minutes if you okay. lucky. Yeah, and this is the sort of cycle for the first six weeks. Yes, and only then is it at six weeks that they start to differentiate between the the night and day. I don't think they differentiate, but they start to understand that okay. in this environment, which you would create a dullish environment, you know, mm. maybe not so quiet during the day. That environment, I'm going to be allowed to wake up more frequently for feeds. And this is not saying that six to eight weeks your baby doesn't feed overnight. It's just that they will start to sleep longer because of the quiet, dark environment. Mm. And they, they sense a sort of a peace in the home at night. And they do sleep longer, although a lot of parents will be saying, no, Cecile, they don't. And, and that's only, I believe, because you're not understanding the babies. Mm. You're not understanding what they need during the day to get those calories in so they don't require them at night. So your environment is really important. Yes. Because know. I imagine they pick up on energy as well. So you want to make sure that, yes, there's aesthetic things going on that are soothing for them, but also that it's a really, the energy is good and, and calm. Yes, and also, so when you hold your child, they feel you. Mm. They feel your heartbeat, they feel, you know, when you pick up a baby and you're calm, the baby will calm. When you pick up a baby and you're already stressed, the baby almost increases crying. Mm. And mostly, I think they're saying two things like, mommy, what's wrong? Can I calm you down? Mm. 
Whereas then they crying, you get more upset, they get more upset and it becomes a vicious cycle. So anytime you're working with a baby, you've got to be very calm and confident. And as a new mom, that is, takes time to develop. Yeah, because you're building your confidence, especially if you've never done it before. Yeah. In those first few weeks, you're probably thinking, this tiny little thing, I've got to be so careful. And, and especially if you set expectations of like a routine at eight weeks. Yeah. And, and it, we have to understand, why are women saying that? Purely because they're going back to work at six yeah. weeks. So if, they want to establish some yeah. kind of routine to help them with their transition, yeah. They, they don't have a choice. If they don't have a routine, then they're not sleeping at night and that affects their job. And that can affect how families operate mm. out here. So whilst we say you can't establish a routine, we certainly do help women to work towards one yeah. because of the need to go back to work. When I hear moms who say, oh, I've got three months off, I've got six months off, I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. This mother can relax, enjoy her baby, and naturally move into a routine. Yeah, I'm really lucky because I'm going to have at least three months off where I can at least be at home. So even if I have some projects going on, I can be at home. And I'm actually moving in with my mum-in-law. Well, okay. my, my in-laws, because they live uh, very close to here. Um, and my mother-in-law has had six boys um, and loves babies and can do things like feed me <laughs> and i was going to say that's look a very important me. thing yes so that i don't really have to think about those kind of things i can just be with my baby so so you've heard about the cultural 40 days yes so this but this is something i only learned from being here i had never come across this before yes and i love it i think every woman deserves that 40 days and what is the 40 days the 40 days is not about you not moving the 40 days is about someone else caring for you, the new mother, like you said, feeding you, holding your baby while you have a shower. Mm -hmm. They're not there to take over the baby's care. They're not there to tell you what to do. But it's grandma as well. Of so course. it's, you know, it's not just a person. It's also a lovely time for the baby yeah. and their And, and a their lot of times they, the, the ladies out here refer to them as the aunties. Mm. And I love the idea that, you know, this lady comes into your home, you embrace her as part of your family, she takes care of you and your child, you know, she makes your food, she feeds you the right things, and there's no right or wrong foods to eat. Yeah. And I never fight culture. I think that, again, the, you know, Chinese mothers, Indian mothers have got a wealth of old knowledge mm. that they can bring to birth, that, that can enhance things. And so what if it sounds a bit strange, yeah. as long as it does no harm? but that, that sounds like you're gonna have that 40 days. Yeah, it's because it's um, my sister-in-law who's Lebanese, she stayed in for 40 days and well, they went on walks and things, yes. but they didn't go out. Yeah. Whereas if you go to any sort of um, kind of expatty place, you know, like reform, for example, mm. I'll often see families there with teeny tiny babies and that's a very English thing to sort of get out there and and I just think whatever feels comfortable for you if after a few days you're like yeah I can go to a mall that's okay do it if you're not ready Don't stay at home it. just do whatever comes naturally to you and we have to realize that some of these people these moms don't have the privilege of a mother coming out mm. so they don't have that support so them getting out the house to, like you said, like places like Reform and that. Or oh, a coffee morning, just, like a Malak yeah, coffee morning. That's just them getting out to get some sanity. Yeah. I mean, my mum will come out, but, you know, she works full-time in the UK, so, you know, her holiday's limited, mm -hmm. um, so she'll have to leave. So I'm very lucky that I have my husband's mum here um, who wants to be involved, because also I asked her, you know, yeah. how do you feel about this? Um, I was sort of invading your home with a newborn baby, but she, she can't wait. And I think for me, it's putting things in place so I don't have to think about little things for that mm. first few yeah. weeks. I hate cooking. I um, <laughs> love cleaning, but hate cooking. So for me, it's just like, okay, that, that's done. I don't have to think about what I'm eating. Because yeah. um, I think they're the sort of, it's, it's the day-to-day -day that kills you, isn't it? And I think it's putting those things in place that can just doesn't mean it's going to be plain sailing but at least you know okay I've got a bit of support because it's lonely it's the very amount lonely. of friends and family I've seen in those first few weeks that are so lonely um because people and especially if it's not your first the novelty kind of wears off a bit 
and people sort of rush they'll visit you and then everyone goes back to their lives and you're just at home with this tiny baby and everybody thinks you can cope because you've done it before so yeah you know what you're doing you've done this before um and my sister-in-law said it's amazing what you forget even after a few years every baby's different and that as well there's no two babies ever alike yeah so unless if you're having a girl and then a boy or boy and then a girl your experience is different yeah how you manage it is different so you're very very fortunate to have family to support you here long term as well oh yeah I'm I'm so grateful for it because I think it's one of the hardest things about being an expat it's that Mm -hmm. you know from day one of being pregnant um I've been lucky enough to be able to see my mum but you just want your mum and she's not here yeah you know and it's so you have a surrogate mum and yeah. your husband and your mother-in-law yeah and I get to talk to my mum all the time you know we have we have whatsapp and voice notes mm. and and skype but some days you just think I just want to have a cup of tea with my mum so it, it is hard um and I really feel for expats out here that don't have their husband's family here or the other way around um and that they just come out, visit for a few weeks, and then they go. And I think even the, the visiting for a few weeks is even harder. Because then you have to say bye. Yeah, then it's a kind of like, okay, now what do we do? Yeah. So This is it now. And, and that's where I think the coffee mornings do fill in. We do try to not take over and be the mother, but we're there to be kind of helping, advising, mm. guiding. And the coffee mornings, the, the mama mornings are amazing in the fact that they're absolute chaos sometimes. (laughs) There's just moms, prams, babies, and I sometimes feel at the end of them like my head is spinning. (laughs) I've been asked so many questions. I've tried to answer as much as I can, help babies, help mothers, you know, in in any way we form we can. And then they, they go home and it's quiet. Yeah. And it's that peace. But it doesn't last long. I'll <laughs> definitely be coming to your mama mornings. Even before I give birth, I want to come and meet some other ladies and um, yeah, just kind of, yeah, just learn as much as I can really and meet other ladies that maybe are due, due around the same time as me. So um, we, we don't get a lot of pregnant mommies because of work. But yeah. we always say you don't have to have your baby in arms to come to the mama morning. Yeah. You just need to have she's a baby. She's here. She's yeah. just, <laughs> she's just waiting to arrive. Yeah. So. Um, Cecile, I want to debunk some myths. Um, So as soon as you find out you're pregnant, a lot of people start kind of, and it's all with good intention, I found, but they start sort of giving you advice and tips. And a lot of it (laughs) is quite, can be sort of old wives tales or just things that you think, I'm not, is that right? I'm not sure. So what are some pregnancy and birth myths that you can debunk for us? I was looking at this and trying to think what myths are important to tell women that literally they, they're not true. Mm. And I think one of them is that as once baby starts to grow, that if you're too active, the cord is going to be around their neck. And this is something that I hear from parents, oh, we had to have a cesarean because of cord around the neck. Mm. And there may be truly a reason to. But cord round your baby's neck is not something you did, and it's not something you can avoid. It just happens. It happens. And there's a lot of births where the cord is once round the neck, it's no harm. The baby does sometimes need us to clamp, cut the cord at the moment of birth, at that time to allow the shoulders to be born. But it's not something you did as a mother. And especially if you ended up as a cesarean section with cord round the neck, it's not because you kept running or you kept going to gym, or you climbed a ladder, Mm. it simply happens. I think the babies think the cord is their skipping rope. (laughs) And sometimes we trip on our skipping ropes. So I have got beautiful video footage gifted to me by a client of a baby wrapped in the cord. Um, They didn't actually get the the unwrapping, but Mm -hmm. they got the moment after, and the baby was completely healthy. But yes, did they need a cesarean section? Yes. Mm. So, but it's when they told, when you described how the baby was wrapped, it was like, wow. Mm. So, and babies are very resilient. Yeah. Other things to debunk. Um, thinking of things like people say, I can't have my hair colored. Okay. Obviously, if something's going to affect the mother, 
and we used to use a lot of hydrogen peroxide for hair colouring, which we don't any longer. Mm. In back then, we would have said, please don't do it, because hydrogen peroxide, when you breathe it in, is harmful. Today, we don't use those products. So can you have your hair coloured while you're pregnant? Yes. Can it mean that the colour is not what you think it should be? Yes, because our hormones also affect us there. Mm. But please don't treat yourself as someone that's ill. Actually, you're probably at your healthiest when you're pregnant. And you should enjoy that. You should walk. You should get out there and enjoy life. Yeah. Life doesn't stop because you fell pregnant. Yeah, and I think for a lot of ladies, luckily I, I didn't have sickness, but I felt exhausted for the first 12 weeks. And then all of a sudden, Energy. that went away. And now I feel, hmm. I feel back to how I did before. I feel great I just feel the same mm. um to the point where some days I'm like is everything okay in there but then I'll feel a little twinge or I feel something and I'm like oh no definitely and I'm growing obviously yeah. but I think that a lot of people are they're just worried aren't they because they don't they don't want to do anything to harm their baby and obviously there's obvious things that you shouldn't do um you know I'm not going to be getting on any roller coasters anytime soon Absolutely. or things like that yes. um but I well, think I wouldn't get on a roller coaster in any case I mean yeah I'm pretty scared <laughs> of roller coasters but I won't be going to any theme parks or anything, but I think you're sort of day to day, as long as you're, you're feeling okay. Yes. Um, you know, obviously anything that you're a bit worried about, you can go to your doctor. Yeah, were there things that you'd heard that you were kind of thinking, really? Um, yeah. You can't eat sushi or fish. So why? Um, because of the potential bacteria and parasites but then I went to a workshop and they said yeah raw fish no but things like salmon are really good for you and some certain other fishes and I thought oh that's good because I love salmon and I thought yeah. I wasn't allowed that um and as long as it's from a reputable place well this is the other thing because I'm on a few forums um on these apps and quite a few ladies are saying well I'm still eating sushi but I get it from a really reputable place mm -hmm. I've never had a problem with this with this restaurant and I'm still enjoying sushi. So, And the biggest reason is that if you had a bowel infection, mm. the bowel surrounds the uterus, you could put yourself into preterm labour if you were having a bad abdominal cramps or diarrhoea. And that's what we want to prevent. So mm. in fact, it's the first sort of two trimesters where we really don't want you to do anything stupid like that. Yeah. Um, after that, yes, if you're comfortable and you're eating reputable food and you're making sure that, you know, it's, it's good quality and take care. Mm. If it doesn't smell right, don't eat it. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't had sushi, just, just to err on the side of caution. Absolutely. But I've had salmon. Mm. I've had, like, cooked fish and chips. Because yeah. um, anything cooked, obviously, then you know it's been it, it's, the it's bacteria okay. that has yeah. been killed. Um, the other big thing that I heard a lot in the beginning was about my cats. Okay, yes. I wondered um, about that. And about cleaning the litter tray. Yes. And I did my own research, and I understand why the pregnant women are advised not mm -hmm. to clean the litter tray. But then I also took the view that my cats don't go outside and I wash my hands thoroughly afterwards. So hopefully I'll be okay. And, and that brings us back to basically what everybody's been told today, good hand washing. Yeah. Which is a natural thing to do. It's the right thing to do after you've done any dirty cleaning. You wouldn't clean the litter trays and go and have your lunch. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, but they. But I also read that the... Uh, what's it called the tox the toxemia toxemia yeah. is actually from um them being outside and eating birds yes. and um like rodents rodent anything anything that doesn't have a domestic base yeah to it. and then obviously that comes out in their poop yes so because mine have never been outside and never go outside there's no danger they're not going to have no. it now when i was in the uk uh my mum's cats go outside I wouldn't do their litter tray, for example, yes. because they do catch mice and birds. And so it's kind of, I think, about being sensible. But quite a few people said to me, like, what are you going to do about your cats? And I was like, well, what do you mean? What am I going to do? Well, you know, you need to be careful. And There's that other side to it where they think they're going to lie on the baby. Yes. 
and babies shouldn't have cat hair. So yes, please keep the baby's bed free of cat hair. Please keep where the baby will possibly be lying and playing free of cat hair as much as possible. Mm. But cats won't, will run away from a baby more than they'll come close to the baby. They're probably gonna be more scared of the baby crying than anything else. Yeah. And actually, I truly, I grew up with cats, I grew up with dogs, and I think every child should grow up with an animal mm. because it teaches them certain things yeah. from very young. Oh, I, I grew up with cats and dogs and I just, pets just bring so much love and mm. teach responsibility. Um, and I see so many gorgeous videos on YouTube of cats licking the baby's head mm. and when they're a little bit bigger playing yeah. and you yes. know. Yeah. So I mean, cute. Likelihood of you finding your child eating the cat food with your cats, it's very high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's fun. There's nothing that, that's going to be absolutely harmful there. Cats will not scratch babies yeah. and they know you're pregnant. They know that this is a special little person. Yeah. And they'll be just as loving to your child as they are to you. Yeah. So it's teaching your child not to pull their ears. Yeah. yeah. They often tolerate it. Yeah, I mean, with my with my niece, you know, these cats often, they'll she'll play them, but if she gets a little bit rough with them, they just go into another room. Mm, they leave. They don't fight back. <laughs> they, they, you know, my cats only know lovely humans. Mm. They ha they've had a lovely life. Um, you know, it might be different if you've got a rescue cat that is a little bit, you know, has been through something. And then you'd be cautious. But my cats, I mean, they're so spoiled. They only know lovely humans. So. If she gets a little bit rough, they just go into another room, you know, and they know also when someone is play fighting with them, they know when they can kind of, um, you know, they, they don't bite, but they, they put their, <coughs> you know, like teeth on you when they, they play fight, but they don't do that when they, when they know it's a child, they just know. Um, yeah, they, they, I did have a lady, sensitive. they are, and I had a lady, um, Rachel from Chasing Zest, she came here with her little boy to record um, an episode and uh, they were just sort of looking around and looking in the pram and mm. having a sniff and it was so sweet because I thought, oh, this is what it's going to be mm. like. Um, but then they just went off and mind their own business. So, yeah, and they love yeah. me. So. Oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, I think the cats was the main one for me in the beginning. <coughs> um, I'm trying to think what other ones I've had. Um, Obviously, diet is a big thing. But eating a healthy diet. Yeah, not. and it is something I've I've struggled with because um, I have a really bad addiction to fizzy drinks. Yeah, I have that too. And <laughs> this has not... It's, I'm ashamed to say I just haven't been able to kick it. Now, my appetite has actually remained the same. I'm not eating okay, more. Good. I don't feel like I've... I mean, I put on some weight, obviously, but I haven't... I feel in myself pretty much the same. Um, however, I'm struggling with the fizzy drinks. And are you drinking normal fizzy drinks or diet? Normal. I think you're fine then. It's, it's the diet fizzy drinks that are worst. Now, I'm not saying 10 cans a day, but, but I do have at least one can a day. Yeah. And it's my sort of, you know, I'd rather have a nice cold Pepsi with ice than like a donut or a cake or something. Yeah. Um, so it's not that I'm doing loads of junk food, lots of snacks and that, but it's something I just ha haven't been able to shake it. I think we all have things that we need. <laughs> and if one of your needs is a fizzy drink, that there's a lot more harmful things out there. Okay, you're that not, makes me feel a little bit better. You're not a smoker and things no. like that, which that is more harmful of course. to your baby than a, a fizzy drink a day. Yeah. So yeah, I it's, think... It's something I feel a little bit ashamed about. And actually, this brings me on to um, a question I have. It's not, it's, not, it's not a myth, but it's something that I know in the UK they don't routinely check you for, which is mm -hmm. gestational diabetes. Okay, yeah, gestational diabetes is an interesting one. And I think we check a lot for it out here because we have a high-risk population for it. Mm -hmm. um, we do check in South Africa, but we would only check if we were worried if there was maybe exactly. this is what urine like that was uh, you know had a lot of sugar in it uh, or a mother who was maybe the baby was growing faster than it should whereas here we do routinely check for it and I think it's because there's a much higher risk population so as someone who likes a fizzy drink and I know there's sugar mm -hmm. in there yeah um it's something that my doctor has already um 
kind of warned me about that this is something we will test for and she knows I would really like a water birth so she's like look if you have gestational diabetes you will have to be induced which then means I can't have my water birth and it's something that I'm just curious do I have to be tested if baby looks normal and everything's fine no you don't have to be tested you can speak to your doctor and ask them not to do the test however that's something that you and your doctor do have to discuss mm. because you have to remember that ultimately your doctor is looking at your safety mm. and if we do the test and it's negative what's the harm yeah then at least you're reassured if we do the test and it's positive well then we maybe need to take those cautions and Inducing early, 38, 39 weeks for gestational diabetic is following the right guidelines. Yeah, and this it's, is the guidelines in the UK as yeah, well. It's yeah, not, they're not, not, not being overcautious here, but however, you're concerned because drinking that fizzy drink, you think that's going to put your blood sugar up. So all I'd say to you is the night before, make sure you don't have that fizzy drink. Yeah. And eat good proteins, eat good fats that night, and then the next morning, because you start with the fasting glucose, you should find your fasting glucose isn't unnecessarily high. And at what week do I do this? Normally 28. 28, okay. Every so doctor is slightly time. different, but it's normally around about 28 weeks. Because I just wondered if everything is looking, I've got my anomaly scan next week, um, which is like the 20 week scan, but I'll actually be 23 weeks. Which is fine. Um, yeah, because I was away, so they just booked it in for next week. And if everything is looking normal and baby's not, and I'm not big, No. I think I'm sort of, because a lot of the time in the UK, they'll they'll test you if you're looking bigger than perhaps you should be at yes, that week. Yes. Um, I just thought maybe that could be something I could push back on. But you're right. What's the harm? Because if it's negative, it's negative anyway. Yeah. So it's not. It's it's a nice reassurance to have. Yeah. For me, it's just about the being induced, right. only because I would love to have a water birth. And even being induced, you can do natural induction. Mm. And I know a lot of the medical doctors kind of say, be careful what we're advising. And of course, yes, I'm certainly not suggesting you go and get castor oil. Castor oil is just nasty. Um, but there are other forms of natural induction that you can use to help yourself go into labor. You're not actually going to put your body into labor unless it will go in. Yeah. It's not being forced. It's not a medical induction where we are forcing the body to go into labor because of a reason yeah so there are those things to explore if you were diagnosed yeah and you kind of were thinking oh, i really don't want to do this there are other ways to do it more naturally where your body might spontaneously give birth that's what i would like because i want her to come when she's ready i don't mm. want a forced situation yeah because i think that's quite i'm smiling because as a midwife you know your belly button is kind of in mm. and when it starts to come out and it pops out we'll say you're cocked <laughs> she's ready Bing. yeah so and can can come out the oven any time now yeah it's still very much in yeah. i'm just yeah i'm not quite there yet no so so sometimes that happens at 36 37 weeks yeah and mother's going to labor spontaneously so it's not that you they have to then be induced or they there was something wrong that was their body saying she might just come then anyway yes i'm ready to come yeah so. oh Oh, I can't wait till that that pop happens, and I know I'm. Then I'll I'll message you. I've popped. I feel I'm ready. Um, for all the mummers to be listening, can you break down the services that you offer, and how can people get in touch with you? Okay, so Malak essentially is a home care nursing service, and in 2016 we added on myself and Joe Holt, and we started to offer prenatal education. We offer hypnobirthing. We offer postnatal support for mums in breastfeeding, sleep and routines from your newborn all the way through to your toddler, and general baby behaviours, potty training. Literally, I want to say we'll do whatever a mum needs as long as it's within reason. Mm. So if we're not offering a service, and we should be, we need to talk about it. Mm. We do have a lovely dietitian who works with us, and she does weaning workshops. She does consultations for people for weaning on fussy eaters, picky eaters. And she also has an absolute passion for what she's doing. Amazing. And so if, if people would like you personally for like the sleep consultations, um, do they get in touch with you via Malak or can via they reach Malak. out to you personally via so Malak? Okay. Just emailing any queries to workshops at Malak 
M-A-L-A-A-K dot M-E. Mm-hmm. And it's workshops with an S on the end. I'll put all your contact, contact details on the in, in the show notes so people can get in touch. Yeah. Just even I make a mistake and put workshops on <laughs> No, I'll make sure I put all the, the contact so, details so people can get in touch. And then it's very frustrating when people don't answer your emails. But we actually are very, very mm. pro. And of course, there's our lovely social media pages. Oh, I love um, your social, especially your Instagram. So, yeah, so the Malak pages are a lot more about what's happening in Malak. Mm. And then I have a page called Pregnancy, Your Birth, and Your Baby. And that's where I post hopefully cute videos um, and information. Yeah. And I try to encourage conversations. Mm. I want mothers to think about, like, why. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? What is the outcome going to be? And is it going to be what you want it to be? Mm. It's it's honestly, it's a whole new world. And if you don't know where you're going, let us hold your hand. Yeah. And I think what's lovely about Malak is the community aspect. Being Mm. an expat, um, you know, you're far away from home. You might not have friends that have children or that are pregnant. And it can feel, even during pregnancy, quite lonely and isolating sometimes. So to be able to meet other mums-to-be and mums and have that kind of go-to place, I think, mm. is, is amazing. And we have some mums, they're not really coming for the topics, which we'd have no problem with. They're coming for the meet-up, the chat. The social aspect. Yes. And that's, that's what it's actually about. The yeah. topics on add-on as a nice sort of educational mm. series. Yeah. But having those moms know they can come. They can come if they look terrible. <laughs> you know, they can come if they've been crying. Yeah. And oh, we'll sure be, be there for them. <laughs> I'm actually really missing them at the moment. That's I know. I really hope everything can, so can go back to normal lonely. quickly. So. Um, okay, we're going to do a quick fire round now. Okay. Okay. Cecile, your one piece of advice for first time mummies? Enjoy it. You know, your children will grow up very quickly. Hold them, love them, and watch them. They will teach you things that you've forgotten. I never forget my niece pointing at a tin, going, Teddy, Teddy. And I thought, there's no teddy bear there. But when I went and looked closer, there was a teddy bear. And in my rushed adult life, I would have bypassed that. Mm. So they should enjoy it. Yeah. One thing you've learnt about yourself after becoming a mum? That you can do the impossible. That even when you think you can't keep going, there's an inner strength in women that you can keep going. Amen. What's one thing you wish someone had warned you about before you became a mum? That one day your children would grow up and they'd leave home. And it doesn't matter how old they are and how long they've been gone, empty nesters are definite thing. Mm. Yeah, so. I think my mum would agree with that. Mm. She's got one here and one in America. Both mine are in the uh, UK now. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Hard for us as well, but yeah, as a mum, really hard. Yeah, I think, I think that I would have stayed home more, worked less, and although we spent a lot of time together. Yeah, yeah. Favourite thing about being a mum? Cuddles. Just those, that picking them up and cuddling them and them feeling so warm and smelling them. Mm. I know that, does that sound weird, hey? But everyone <laughs> says babies have the most beautiful smell. Your children have a smell. Yeah. And, As and in your own baby. Yeah. yeah. But even adults, you mm. know, it's breathing them in, I think makes you feel you're still holding them. Mm. So... Definitely cuddles. What does motherhood mean to you in three words? Exciting. Um, Also maybe a little bit chaotic. But mostly it means love. Oh, Cecile, thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you for all your wisdom and experience and knowledge. I'll put all your information in the show notes so people can contact you and follow uh, the Malak pages and your own personal social yeah. pages. And um, just thank you so much. And I'm sure I'm going to be seeing a lot more of you in the next few months. Especially about sleep. And after sleep. that as well. Especially about sleep. Yes. <laughs> sleep is the one thing I'm a little bit nervous about. Everything else, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'll take this in my stride. But I, I do love my sleep. So um, 
and I promise we will help you get your sleep back. Thank you. Thank you, Cecile. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you once again to Cecile, aka The Baby Whisperer, for sharing her incredible knowledge and precious time with Life School. You can find links to Cecile and Malak's social pages, the Malak website and contact details in the show notes below. If you'd like to find out who my guests will be on the next episode of Bumps and Babies, please do follow us on Instagram at LifeSchoolME, where you can keep up to date with all our news and find information on all our amazing guests. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review and subscribe to Life School ME the podcast to help us reach and hopefully inspire more listeners. Thank you for listening to Life School, conversations to inspire action.